That moment in real life events really changed you as a person. And I was in between two voices. Should I keep suppressing this voice or should I surrender to this voice? And I wanted to surrender because I'm like, it should be three for three or none of us. Like, why am I the only one here? And, and yeah. for some reason, I was in a, another test, another question, suppress or surrender. And when I couldn't suppress, I wanted to take my life. And I really looked at it and, and that team really helped me because it made me think of outside of myself, like, okay, this city, okay, this team, okay. Not only this, what we have, but our legacy, Keenan, Zach, Justin, those guys that did it before me, I can't quit. I'm Noren Sodiase and I am undone. Hey friend, I am glad you are here. Welcome to yet another episode of Becoming Undone, the podcast for those who dare bravely, risk mightily, and grow relentlessly. Join me, Toby Brooks, as I invite a new guest each week to examine how high achievers can transform from falling apart to falling into place. West Texas is known for being hardworking, blue-collar, tough, and compared to other parts of the world, it's a place with a workman-like chip on its shoulder. Some people were fortunate enough to have been born here. The rest of us got here as soon as we could. At the same time, Texas Tech University and our Red Raiders don't just exist in West Texas. It and they are of West Texas. While other major schools might embrace their role as the rich, ivory tower kind of places, Tech embraces its role as the hard-working, scrappy underdogs. In my 14 years in this community, no single Texas Tech athlete I've ever watched has more embodied this mystique than Norn Zodiase. A fixture on the Texas Tech basketball team from 2014 to 2019, Norris now plays in the NBA G League and hosts the Awesome Mind Bully podcast. If you haven't checked it out, be sure to. I'll drop the links on the page for this episode at undonepodcast.com backslash EP54. Norris was kind enough to drop in and share his story. Sometimes funny, other times heart-wrenching, and just like Norris, all the time inspiring. I hope you'll enjoy this one as much as I did. Listen in to episode 54, Legacy, with Norris Odiase. This week's guest is a familiar name and face to Texas Tech Red Raider basketball fans. Norrence Odiase finished his career as the winningest player in Texas Tech basketball history. If UT can have Mac McConaughey as their ambassador of culture, then I don't know of another person better suited to be the Texas Tech ambassador of culture than Norrence. Welcome to the show, Norrence. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That was, that was a hell of an intro to you. <laughs> so... This show is really about how sometimes things don't go according to plan, and that can suck in the minute, but it can really set us up for success in the long term. And so there are a number of detours in your story that I think you would admit probably weren't your first choice. Maybe they were and they didn't go as planned, but I'm really excited to dig in and, and hear your tale. So I always start with kind of a wide open look. What did you want to be growing up and why? This is a great question. What did I want to be growing up? I don't know. You know, for me, I'm one of four, the youngest of four Nigerian parents. My parents are immigrants. And so as that kid, I'm one kid in the house. And then I go to school. I live in an urban community and I'm a different kid to all my peers. And so it leaves one kind of lost. Saying I'm a twin, my identity was always attached to somebody else, which I didn't really like all the way. Like, literally, if you look at all of our pictures in that time, we're wearing the same things. Like, one set for me and my brother and another set for uh, my older sisters, four years older. They're twins as well. So it was like, instead of four, I felt like we were two big people. And I wanted to break free from that every chance that I get, what I wore, expressive, if I could take it off. As soon as I started growing age and, and obviously in size, I started just acting out for lack of better words, because I just wanted to see what somebody else could be in my own eyes. So when you asked me that question, I remember a time when I was seated and I was watching basketball, watching Kim Olajuwon, old takes. And I could just remember seeing the joy behind their eyes, watching him play the sport against, I think it was the Spurs. And for some reason, I wanted to express myself and to 
be as significant, as valuable as that moment was. I saw basketball. I'm like, okay, got to be through basketball. So from that moment, I guess I just picked that up. And along with the evidence that I saw, oh, I'm at school and people like this game and people think you're valuable, think you're worth something. If you play this game, all right, I'm going to play it. That's that's two for two. That's enough for me. So I chased that game. But when you ask me that question, I'm like, I just wanted to be excellent, significant for other people. I wanted to serve people. I always had that, but I can't literally say basketball until, well, I can say basketball, but it wasn't really basketball. You alluded to parts of your story that certainly were instrumental in shaping who you were as a man and as an athlete. So I guess start at the beginning of Norrence's story, wherever that was, time and place and and what made you who you were when you showed up in Lubbock, where a lot of Texas Tech fans first encountered Norrence for the first time. What made me who I was? I, a lot of trials, a lot of times where I was tested, transitional period. I had 2013. I was supposed to graduate from high school with my twin brother. My twin brother goes on and goes to Texas Tech, and I'm staying, and I'm posed with a situation or a challenge. I believe within myself that I'm better than what my offers say. I went to North Crowley High School. And if you know anything about Fort Worth, Texas, basketball in that area, North Crowley is a thing, a powerhouse. And it's usually guards that come out of there. We had Willie Warren. He was drafted, uh, I think, by the Clippers. He went to OU. And we've had Keen Anderson. He went to TCU. I actually played with him. And we had just guards, guards, guards. It's a historic place for guards. And we used to run something Kansas did where the guards, it was just guards, 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 guards. And I knew I was better than that. And I was, I was sort of a late bloomer. And so I took a chance and went to a prep school. I had low major offers like a school's late and then some high major real late. And it was just interest, but I'm like, nah, I'm going to bet on myself and bet on my talent and not only my talent, but my work ethic. You know, that's what, doesn't come on papers. They don't stat that out. Oh, because that was a thing growing up. It was just like, dang, I'm not seven foot. I'm not even 6'10". So like, how do I beat them out on paper? I can't, especially when they come and they don't see me getting buckets and everything because <laughs> I don't get the ball to do that. So it's like what looked like a loss. I turned it on its head and I went to a prep school. And when I went to a prep school, I'm just thinking, dang, this is it. This is where I'm going to showcase myself and go to high major. Like step one, step two, step three. We all have the the way planned out and it did not go to plan. It didn't go to plan because when I got there and I was playing and I was doing well in these games, we played at Oak Hill and I was killing like a double, double against the best teams in the country. I would go back home on a little bus ride and I'm just like, okay, where's the calls? Where's the coaches? And it was nothing. It was on only until one day, one of my best friends, he was at the school with me, Steven Spurlock and Caleb Castro. They sat me down and we had an idea to make a highlight tape because it's like, OK, nobody's seeing us play. Why don't we just put together a tape ourselves? They have the film. Let's stitch it together. And because of that idea that night, we went literally like late at night. We snuck into the film room, got all of our tape, <laughs> put it together, made highlight tapes. Literally mine is still on my YouTube and then we just started putting together plays that we think college coaches would see. It wasn't all dunks. It, mine had like diving on the floor, like defensive plays, that type of stuff. You have to love this. Norrence has a successful enough high school career to garner offers from some colleges. But he knows in his heart that he hasn't been able to really showcase what he's capable of while playing a role as a big man at North Crowley High School. In three seasons of varsity play, his Panthers teams went an impressive 92-19-1 overall. Better still, they went an incredible 41-1 in district play. But in a system catered to perimeter players, he never felt like recruiters really got the chance to see what he was capable of. He didn't moan or complain, though. He wasn't a divisive presence in the locker room. He did his job, and he put his team first. But you heard him. He wasn't satisfied with the offers. So he bet on himself and spent a year at the Elevate Prep School competing against perennial powerhouses like Oak Hill Academy and going toe-to-toe with other high-major players, thinking that the performance enough would generate interest. But when that still didn't come, eventually he and his teammates decided to take matters into their own hands. So they sneak into the film room. They make highlight reels of themselves. They begin home-cooked marketing efforts to increase their recruitment. And not just the flashy stuff. In what I personally would later grow to absolutely love about watching Norrance play, 
It was the gritty heart and the motor and the willingness to do the things most won't do. Things that don't always show in the stat sheet, like taking charges, diving for loose balls. That eventually gets him noticed by some Power 5 schools. And what better fit for a player with something to prove than a program on the rise looking to do the same. Put it all together. We got our stats out. And then we put them on the sheet. And then we made this separate senior service list where it wasn't just, okay, I want to go to the school. It's like, nah, let me look at uh, Texas Tech. Do they need me? Okay. Yeah, they do. Okay. Why do they need me? Rebounded. Like it was so detailed to the fact that after we got all the highlights together, we put together the list, we sent it out. Like I would send it out and most people send it to the department. No, I send it out to the assistant coaches because I know they're positional coaches. Those are the coaches that, you know, do things. And so I sent it to a bunch of schools and like all of them within hours, because it was nighttime, replied back. I'm like, we were going crazy because it's like, okay, like that worked. Like long story short, Tubby Smith himself flies in multiple times to my practice. And our coaches are like, whoa, like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, this is what happens when you actually pub your players. Right. But not fast forward into Texas Tech. it, It was beautiful because I chose Texas Tech from. Instead of UGA, instead of a Washington, a TCU, and other schools, because of one, the atmosphere and what I saw when I went there. But two, my mom wanted me and my brother to be together. Like I said, 2013, he went to tech, and I was just like a year away. What is the best way to be united together? One, with a coach that flew in, the head coach himself flew in. Nobody else did that for me. And two, with the atmosphere of tech. So, yeah, that's fantastic. In. Not just a head coach, but a Hall of Fame head coach. So exactly. at, at that time, Texas Tech is kind of rising from the ashes. It, it's not what it is today, but certainly on the upswing. And Tubby brought a lot of energy. He brought some new recruits, some fresh energy, and you were part of that. And so starting your career with Tubby Smith, but then he leaves. You end up being the last Tubby Smith player on the roster with the new staff. What did that experience teach you? Patience it taught me faith. It taught me to build my courage, to fall on my shield, so to speak. Just everything that I knew that personally I could do and what we could do at Tech, what we could do as a team and as a program. And just to remain focused on the vision, it wasn't always or ever, in my opinion, about me when I went to Tech. I wanted it to make it bigger than myself because whenever you leave a place better i always like sidebar on my podcast i i go <laughs> in the rabbit holes whatever but people think like nowadays okay i gotta do this i gotta use this school to get there but that's not leaving a legacy it's not leaving an impact on people's lives not leaving an impact on the community it's not serving people it's just entertainment that he left for one year how many times in yourself you ask those kids it's like do you remember people that you knew sparingly for a year no and so i knew that I wanted to leave a lasting impact on that community. And when Tubby left and Beard came in and Keenan, Zach, Justin, they graduated. I'm sitting there, honestly, coming out for junior year. I broke my foot twice before my left and my right foot. I'm coming off a year where Tubby used to give me the ball all the time. Like, I love that. And I was getting better. Like, I was a force. And nobody remembers that, obviously, which is cool. But when it switches to Chris Beard, it's like me and Justin Gray, we always joke and say we made the most sacrifice because we had to. Like, we used to get the ball a ton, like the featured players. Then we had to learn and transform our game. And so when that happens and there's not the foundation, the backing that you had, it's tough because I'm like, wait. If you're in my shoes, I'm like, bro, all the people I came in with that built it, they're gone. And it's just me. Like, why? I used to ask God, like, why, why, why? There was people hitting me up about teams and places to travel and to transfer to. I'm like, bro, in my head, I'm like, no. But part of me was like, bro, I'm frustrated in this situation because Chris Beard, he was so, his personality is so aggressive. And at first it was like, that's how I am. I'm an alpha too. That's what it takes. So at first it was a class, class, but I understood him. I would say I was already bought in, but once I really stood there and saw myself like, okay, 
my guys are gone, but we have an opportunity to do something special. We have an opportunity to change not only how we're viewed as a program, but how the city's viewed in the nation. We want to bring people all over national coverage to this city. How do we do that? Build, honestly, at Tech, what is it matters? It's Greek life and athletics. And so how do we have a chance to build momentum off of Elite Eight year? It's by coming back, building our team from everybody thinks we're, we can't do it. I'm like, why not? Why not? It's a perfect moment. God placed me here for a reason. I'm big on my faith. My dad's a pastor. Like I grew up in that. I said, God, he placed me here for a reason. So how do I build and lead this team? And my senior year was an opportunity where I could lead and in a way that I've never got to lead before. It's different when you come in with guys that see you grow. And I was always called a leader since young. I was a leader of that team with the Keenan and those guys. But the next year, it was like, it was a different kind of leadership. I would be accountable for everything, like everything. If a guy missed class or was late to class, Beer would come to me and be like, Norrence, like, like he'd get on my ass. And I'm like, well, I understood it. It's like you give a leader a good name. You give somebody, okay, you're the leader. Something for him to follow up with, to, for him to hold and, and be accountable in. And, and it just gave us ownership. It gave me personally ownership. And it allowed me to grow to a level that I personally, and that's why I always thank him regardless of what people say. He was a conduit to changing who I am as a person because it, I had me look at like, oh, wait, they listened to me and they followed me yeah. and they, and, and it was able to, to help me as a man. So a roundabout way of saying that year was extremely pivotal in my development as a person. And it changed me for years to come. Well, that was definitely a senior-laden team, but it wasn't a homegrown senior-laden team. You were the last, the elder statesman of that that team, and you got Matt and you got Tariq, who are you know redshirt seniors, but first year on campus. And so, I always thought that it was a tribute to your character that you had been the man. You were you were a dog, and now you're playing a different role, but embracing it, not pouting, not looking to transfer. And I think in this day and age. I really feel sorry for college coaches because they have to re-recruit their rosters every single day. If yeah. a player is unhappy about playing time or anything, literally like academic services or medical services or whatever, it, you know, it, it, it's almost like hop on the portal, which is like athletic tender. Like I'll find somebody that wants me and they're going to, they're going to woo me and they're going to bring me. And that's, that's a hard place to be having that long-term mentality to say, no, I'm leaving a legacy. I'm, I'm pouring it. You don't become the winningest player in program history by bouncing four programs in four years. And so I, I think that was fantastic. I know that that 2018-2019 season, magical in many ways, and, and Tech fans are you know hungry to get back to that mountaintop experience. What made that team so special to you? And what do you think allowed us to, if you allow me to group myself in, I mean, I'm a Tech fan. First outright Big 12 championship, three seed in the tournament, all the way to the national championship, just barely losing overtime. What made that team so special that allowed you all to really overachieve on such a grand scale? I think it was the fact that we didn't think we were overachieving, honestly. And it's not just media training speech. It's none of that. We literally didn't think <laughs> – that we were overachieving. We thought and we knew that we deserved the right to be everywhere that we were, that every single day we knew our process. Nobody worked like us. Nobody was a close-knit group as us. We literally went to a retreat. We lived with each other. We did everything together. And it goes back to what you said about nowadays with the transfer portal. I, I laugh because I've never heard the athletic tender. That's pretty good. But that's no relationship building. That's just surface level. We really built relationships. We were really with each other. We had the tough conversations. I lost family members and my team was there and we cried all the emotions together. And so when we got on the court, it was easy because we were playing with your brothers and brothers that work and you know that are up early, just like you are, and going to sleep late because they watched film and they had practice and they had we're going at it and we probably was talking shit back and forth in practice. Like we got after it. We array of emotions every single day. And then we come out, lace them up and we play a game. We already did the tough work before then. So right. when you say that it, 
I don't know. It, it, our expectation was always there. And our honestly, like we knew that we deserved to be there. So mm-hmm. when I look at that season, I would and I do tell people I didn't enjoy it at all. Like enjoy it as far as much as like fun. It was like outside, like dang, Elite Eight, Final Four. I was so locked in that I never smelled the roses. I was like, all right, next, 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 next. And Part of me wishes that I could have understood the mag. I did, but I guess it took that level of detail and that intentional kind of focus to get us to that hump because I was the leader of the team and and everything fell back on me. But no, it was a combination of relationships, of discipline, of integrity and commitment every single day and holding people accountable every single day because we're not robots. So when... We come back and we lose, I think we lose two games and guys go out and Beard like wants to kick them off the team and we're on their ass. He puts them in a different locker room. It was accountability to a confrontational level, but it was all out of love. And it was based off the foundation that we had on the real relationships and why we wanted to leave a legacy, why those guys came in. They lost like a, a Matt Mooney and a Tariq. These guys haven't won in their college career. They have one more shot to do it. They're Mm -hmm. trusting us with their end of their career. How do we help them build a legacy like we did? It's accountability and it's no time. We were so time bound and that's a good thing. Everything was timed. Everything was, uh, we don't have time to waste because as days go on, you're wasting time. So every day we really emptied the bucket, so to speak, and we deserve the right to be uh, where we got. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I think... That's been a consistent theme in my podcast and talking to high achievers. David Goggins talks about how you have to be unbalanced. And he talks about if, if you want to be a high achiever, you have to be so laser focused on the task at hand that you neglect some other things. And it's such a fine line. I, I mean, athletics is one thing. The window of opportunity for a collegiate athlete to win a national championship is a finite thing. And so work life balance really doesn't have a great place in the conversation at that stage of your life, but it can also set you up to be really unhappy for the rest of your life. Because if you're so locked in and you can't appreciate those victories as they come, then man, that can be a lonely place. So uh, I'm curious to know your thoughts on how that experience has shaped the man you are today. We're going to talk more about, you know, your, your career after tech, but just what, what were the lessons learned from that 2019 season? Lessons learned. That was, a, that was a good question because I talked this summer. I was in Vegas for NBA program. And I was with uh, Reggie Jackson. And he said something that stuck with me. He said that athletes are kind of awkward. They really don't know how to communicate on uh, a peer-to-peer level because they never had to. Social interactions is not a thing because we're so focused on what we're building. We're so focused on the mission. We're so ambitious that we're going, going, going. And you don't have the the time because what people they need time and you need grooming and that that's how you communicate it's not efficiency with people mm-hmm. it's effectiveness how do you stay effective with people it's time you need to build relationships athletes are go 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 right. go so a lot of times the things that we miss are those interactions and relationships and and like you said it, it leaves us unbalanced what I would say that I learned from that time is and I'm, I'm struggling with this too now just thinking about it I've heard all that and I kind of agree to disagree, but I just believe there's room for both. And as a child of God, I got to have relationships. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to walk in love. So how can I walk on this mission? It's a man-made mission that I want to do for me. I, I, we want to win a championship, but in the grand scheme of things, like, why does that even matter? It's cool, but it should be based on the relationships impact of people's lives. Not saying I'm too busy to do that. I, so I, I don't know. I struggle with that because I know everybody says that, but for me, as a believer in my faith, I'm supposed to be balanced and knowing that if I care about the relationships and serve people and actually pour into people, God's going to exalt me and pick me to levels that I've never even thought of myself. So I don't know. I I knew, and I know that it has taught me to cherish relationships because I went through times and I went through trials and struggles and everybody saw my final year at Texas Tech and they think, man, that would have been awesome. It was the most trying time of my life due to losing family members and going through different things like that. So it just made me realize that relationships and and really being where my feet are, are is is most important. 
Texas Tech basketball taking on the Baylor Bears this afternoon. But Red Raiders' hearts elsewhere tonight. It was announced two people killed in a car crash early Friday morning were family members of a Tech basketball star. Bailey Burmaster is here to tell us how his family was honored today on the court. Despite the Red Raiders defeating the Bears 86 to 61, Tech mourning the loss of Norrence Odiase's two cousins. The family was honored with a moment of silence prior to tip off during the game. Norrence showing his true character rooted in toughness. And after the game, the Baylor Bears joined Tech for a prayer in honor of Norrence's family. A tough day all around for the program. It was Norrence's decision today to play in the game. I told him yesterday, take as much time as you need. We're here for you. We all know this. Basketball is just a game. A lot more important things in basketball and faith and family are at the top of that list. And I've said it before, Norrence is one of the most disciplined winners that I've ever coached. Uh, he's a great basketball player, but he's even a, a better man. So um, just under extreme circumstances, it doesn't surprise me. You know, none of us understand why these things happen. I rely on your faith and understand that this is a pretty short life we're all in. So Norrence's family is in our thoughts and prayers tonight. Paige. You alluded to uh, the loss of family members. You're a family guy, and it was reported in the media that two of your cousins were taken in the midst of this championship run. Talk to me about what that process maybe taught you about yourself or your team in the midst of that tragedy. Yeah. yeah. Man, you know, with losing people, it's like grief comes in waves. It's like the variables of grief. Okay, you feel it in the moment, you don't feel it, you suppress and you mission and you win and you do those things. But the variables part, I could have been there, I could have stopped this, I could have did this, I could have did this, I I could have influenced to where it shouldn't, they shouldn't even came because of me. And then I think me, me. The only reason why they came, my cousin, one of my best friend, his birthday's a nine nine. My birthday's nine fourteen. Same year. We call ourselves September boys. We're so close that he flew in from Boston to watch me play. And one of his best friends from um, childhood, Makai Mason, he went to Yale. Then he went to Baylor. He transferred. He wanted us to see us in the same place. So he came in, and I had a younger cousin who went to Tech. I said, basically, get together, come, let's have a night out. Long story short, we go to crickets. I leave them with friends that I knew they would be safe. I walk my cousin, my cousin from Boston. He walks me to the door. He says, I love you. And I say, if I, you need anything, call me. And that was the last time I saw them. They got hit by an 18-wheeler later in the day. And, and I say that because the next game, the game he came for was like in a day and a half. And I played in it. And it wasn't outside looking in there like, man, he's noble. He's great. He played in this game. For me, I'm like, I, I don't, I'm numb. It's just the next thing I didn't really process. And, and I would say from outside lens now, my perspective now is I suppressed. And it goes back to a childhood kind of thing because all my life I've been suppressing my emotions. Early on in my childhood from six to eight, I was sexually assaulted by older women in my life. And every time that it happened through six to eight, like it, it made me feel, I always say like, oh, am I the sweet one? Am I the one that like, am just viable to get picked on? There's other kids around me. Why is it just me? And it made me feel less than and, and like no worth, like lack of value. And fast forward a little bit, my dad from eight to 18, he, I was without my dad. He took a promotion in Nigeria he, where he was the chairman of the board of all the hospitals. He's a pharmacist. And when he tried to come back, he got his visa denied for 10 years. And so as a kid, I always say, you were almost like narcissists because we think everything is about us, me, me, me. And, and, and like, so I felt like I have no value. I have no significance because my dad doesn't want to be here, not knowing the situation. Because as kids, you want acceptance and approval and that type of thing from your parents. And along with my peer group, I go to my peer group and they're saying, oh, your dad not here, all these things. And it made me feel less than and, and it kind of was in that pit. And honestly, like I said, going back to the reason I picked up the game of basketball is for that significance. I saw the evidence of people loving this sport. And, oh, if you're good at this sport, then you're somebody. So I grabbed that. And it, for some reason, it made me feel like my value was rising, not knowing that I was still suppressing everything that I've been going through. I wasn't looking at it. And so fast forward to Texas Tech, it's like this guy that has suppressed and he's worked and he's overcome all these obstacles being counted out. I went to a prep school. Actually, the prep school director said I should just take a lower level offer because I'll never get a, a high major. Those type of things kind of fuel me. 
And there's a lot of athletes that do that. They'll take the hate and they'll use it as fuel. But until when? And so I'm at this point at Texas Tech. And I always say this, that moment in real life events really changed you as a person. And I was in between two voices. Should I keep suppressing this voice or should I surrender to this voice? And I wanted to surrender because I'm like, it should be three for three or none of us. Like, why am I the only one here? And, and yeah. for some reason, it's a weird comparison. Like Keenan them leaving, I'm the only one here in my head. Them leaving, I'm the only one here. Like I was in a, another test, another question, suppress or surrender. And when I couldn't suppress, I wanted to take my life. And I really looked at it and, and that team really helped me because it, made me think of outside of myself, like, okay, this city, okay, this team, okay, not only this, what we have, but our legacy, Keenan, Zach, Justin, those guys that did it before me, I can't quit. I'll just show up, but I can't quit. So the next, the games and and, and it led up to the national championship, but it was really just trying to, honestly, again, I, I go in rabbit holes. Honestly, it was still suppressing now that I think about it, because it was like, I did not care. I always tell people I didn't care about anything in that time. I wanted to win, obviously, but I didn't care about because I'm like, all right, what's the point? And I always think about that year and people think, oh, you think about the final four. No, I think about the moment I'm at Capstone Cottages on 4th Street in Lubbock, Texas. I'm in the big room when you walk in past the front desk and the whole team is there and in comes Norrence. I walk in and I'm just bawling in tears. And I'm crying to Kyler Edwards and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry because Kyler Edwards, one of his childhood friends is my cousin that passed from Arlington. So I was just like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Cause I was like, it, like I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have left them there. I should have stayed. I should have did something like I was just telling them. I, and that's like the piercing image that comes in my head. I'm so sorry. And so I, suppress those times to get and to achieve and to achieve like we did. And it really came to a head going past that moment to a Germany. I don't want to go too far on my, my story here, but I keep going. But when I was in Germany after tech is when life stopped me and I was faced with the same question, suppress or surrender. And I did surrender and it really was to surrendering back to faith and to God and my foundation and who I am and where my value comes from and not to look at the outside and to know that there's more in store for not only me, but it's not even about me. It's about things that are birthed through me and my kids and my kids, kids, my legacy, my lineage. Like those are the things that I really connected with in a time where I'm miles away from my family, different language, 9 PM curfew, have a torn hamstring, had a concussion. I'm away from the team. I really had to, to, to really dig in my heels and, and stand firm on, on my face. So, yeah, I think that's valuable perspective and insight. You spent five years in Lubbock recruited by hall of fame coach, Tubby Smith inherited by a new coaching staff and have to prove yourself all over again. But you end up winning more games than anyone in program history. And if you look at your accomplishments on paper, you did go power five high major. You were a key component to a team that was literally one point away from a national champion. Your outcomes on paper, it's impressive. But to hear you speak, there's some disappointment. There's some regret. If you had to summarize your five years in Lubbock in one word or one sentence, how would you describe it? Mm. Searching. I would say searching because I come in, I'm almost 300 pounds and I break my foot the next year. And I lose the weight. I go from 300 to 245 and all these changes, all these trials, the transitional period. And it's really searching for, again, the significant part and who I am, but searching for what I'll leave behind, the legacy. Because I always just admired those people that people talk so highly about when they left the room. Those guys that had an aura about them, a, a different way of walking, a different way of inspiring other people that made people be like, all right, I want to be just like him. And so I thought of that. I really thought of that. I really thought about impacting people in that way and winning. And I know winning adds to that, but just that as a person. So 
searching the ways of how can I do that, not only in the way I play, the way I sell out and <laughs> dive on the floor and impact people in that way. I was so locked in. I don't know if you go back to watch all my games, if I smiled ever, like people <laughs> probably thought I was angry. No, I was just so focused on what it is. And I know every team needs that kind of that, <laughs> that dog on a team. This is so on brand for Norrance. If you're a TTU fan, you've heard about the brand. It's been a rough year so far for football, but after a fairly successful season last year, a good recruiting haul in the offseason, and high expectations for 2023, second-year head coach Joey McGuire's program culture is centered around building the brand. He wants that Double T logo to mean something. The toughest, hardest-working, most competitive team in America. And whether we are that yet or not, before Coach McGuire put that into words, Norrence Odiase put it into action. Sure, deep down, he would have loved to have been the focal point of the offense. He would have loved to have been the star of the program on the upswing. But Norrence has always been about more substance than sizzle. For every thunderous dunk or vicious block Red Raider fans got to cheer, there were hundreds of hours spent in the weight room transforming his body, in the film room, in the gym, refining his craft, and probably thousands of hours leading, serving, and mentoring the players on his team that he regarded as his brothers. He battled through abuse and neglect and feelings of self-doubt as a child to become a fierce competitor on the court. But through it all, he became the living, breathing, walking embodiment of what it means to be a Red Raider. That's the kind of dude others talk about highly when he leaves the room. And so I was searching to find a base of, of what people needed. They needed that on the court. They needed that as a person in the community. The young dreamers need somebody to look at and be like, okay, I want to be like him. I was just searching to, to find that within myself, I would say. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a powerful insight. Sensational with their interior passing. The line by Norens Odiase, the senior captain, can tie it right here with 3.28 on the clock. Knotted at 59. I think it's also important to point out that even as a redshirt senior, you're a grown man, but in a lot of ways you're a kid. You're still learning to deal with emotions. Dealing with the emotion and the disappointment of that loss, I remember that Tuesday in Lubbock. And I remember getting out of bed and the sun still rose in the east and I went to campus. How awesome would it have been to be national champions? But the world went on. And for me, just being removed as a fan, that Tuesday was, I don't know how to explain it. It was, it was just different. It was weird. It was like I kind of went in on Monday thinking we're going to win the national championship tonight. Lubbock's going to bring home a national champion. You know, that, that, that's going to happen. And it didn't happen. What was that Tuesday like for you? <laughs> <laughs> even you saying that just kind of like pissed me off <laughs> because I'm like man like <laughs> that <laughs> it's I'm almost speechless because in that moment I'm I'm I almost getting chills because I'm like everything you just explained was what we thought and what we knew it's not even thought. It's like we knew we we're going to win the game. We knew that we were going to come out on top. And we knew like this was it. And just obviously the way the game played out, but for it not to happen, it pain is not even a, a word to use. It, so that next day, I, I can't remember where I was. We came back. We talked to the crowd and we, we were in the arena and everybody was there. But guys were kind of just floating because it was like, None of us are present. We're just in our own heads about the year that we had and the team we assembled and some, the new thing that we brought to Lubbock and Big 12 champions. We're thinking about all that in our head and what it means from here. Like, how could this be over? Is this the end? We envisioned the Jones football stadium being packed for a parade. Those are the things that we expected. <laughs> Those are the things that we really were looking at. So when we came back, it sounds almost weird, but it was almost ungrateful because I come in there for me. I'm like, bruh, we're look at where we're at. We're back at the USA. Obviously, the fans, we love the fans, but it's like, bro, we're 
We're not supposed to be here right now. We're supposed to be in the stadium. We wanted that. There should be something different. Mm-hmm. And not having that, and it's kind of weird because now I'm really cool with Diakite, Mamade Diakite, the one with the blonde hair. And he was just like, we worked out together pre-Jeff, and he was just like, Virginia is like an ac- academic school. The next day was just like another day. And I was just like, that pisses me <laughs> off, bro, because you guys don't know what that would have meant. Yeah. And so when I think about that day, I haven't, I, I think I saw a clip, but I haven't watched that game full. And I think there's going to be some time till I watch yeah. it. Right. So. so go through that process. Things didn't end how any of us wanted, but your career is over. It, it didn't exactly end on your terms, but it wasn't cut short by injury. You played out your college career and then you're looking at the next opportunity. So you turn your attention to professional basketball. What has been the biggest surprise for you in the four years, the two continents, the six teams where you have invested as a professional basketball player? Talent is not the number one thing. Talent probably not the number two thing. I'll say my truth, but I don't want to ever discourage someone from going professional, but it's a different game. It's politics and it's a lot of, other things added than your talent. And I would say that with pausing for a moment, because I think that's every job. And whenever your talent, something creative that you express yourself through since a kid becomes a job, it might, and it can, and for a lot of people, it does change the way you look at this game that you've played to, and something that you used to express yourself. So I always say to athletes and the people that to know that, Coach speak is, nope, keep your focus on basketball, 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 like like unbalanced almost. Like, I love the game. I love people that love the game. You got to breathe, eat, sleep the game. And I say I get the context and I get where you're coming from, the standpoint. And I know that for as a coach, you need me to be that way for you and for success. I get that. But on the human level, it's about, okay, what are the relationships I have? And wait. It goes to my values. What do I value as a person? Do I value relationship? Do I value this life? Obviously, I value perseverance in every aspect of my life. So it's not just basketball, basketball, basketball. And to span out and know like the things that really matter. Okay, if I'm coming from that standpoint, how do I build young men? How do I build people, leaders in society? It's looking at your life from a holistic lens and, and addressing every need that one needs. And I've been around a lot of guys, millionaires, guys that got the money and they're unhappy for a lot of those reasons. They don't have family around them, a good support system, a good group of people that they can uh, rely on. And it's unfortunate because we're teaching the same talk track. It's like a sales job. I worked sales for Amazon account executive and they give me a talk track to what to say to these sellers. And then one day I just threw them out because it's stale and we just ask the same questions. We say the same things over. Coaches do the same thing. Honestly, it's lazy. Oh, just go and grind. And, uh, all right, we get the premise. But how do you impact and effectively communicate with the person that you're speaking to? Yeah. You actually have to know them. What does that go back to? The foundation of relationship. Mm-hmm. And it really just taught me that. Yes, excellence is a thing and work hard. And you already did that. You're the type of person. You're already motivated. But it's about, one, leaving a legacy for people behind you, and two, just inspiring people. Maybe it goes to the same thing, but inspiring people in what you do and, and finding other things, other facets of yourself to to showcase and to learn about and, and to be creative about all the, the traits that God gave you. Yeah, he gave you traits to play basketball, but what other traits did he give you? And so with those talents, with those traits, how do you give back to other people? Yeah, right. Well, I've long been a fan. You you were workmanlike in so many ways and, and obviously heart and a hustle guy always selling out on, you know, diving for loose balls and taking charges and that kind of thing. And I think you hit the nail on the head. A lot of people looked at Norrance in those, especially those early years, like he's the quiet, angry guy. And now you're a podcaster. You've got a platform. And to hear you talk, it's not toxic masculinity. You talk about being vulnerable and having feelings and controlling your mind bully. So talk to me about your platform now and, and where the genesis for this came from and what this podcast has done for you as a man. 
Yes. Yeah. Mind building podcast is overcoming the negative voice. I say beat the hell out of your negative voice because I'm aggressive in nature. That's kind of <laughs> what I do. But it came from in Germany where my first year out of Texas Tech, I was with the Suns, then the Suns G League, then COVID happens. And I'm in an opportunity where one of the most amount of money that I've seen in my life, a three-story house, nice living, just like over here. I'm driving a car on the Autobahn. I can go as fast as I want. It was in a time where lockdown had just happened here. And in Germany, it wasn't lockdown. I was in Berlin, I remember. I was in this bar with all my new teammates sending videos to my friends back home at 4 a.m. saying, this is how we live. And y'all think it's, it's nice over here. And so literally a month later, everything shut down. But then also a month later, I tore my hamstring and I had a coach that made it tough. He was honestly racist. He's been fired three times. He called a woman a Nazi there. Just some things that you don't do in Germany at a <laughs> the real traditional kind of town, kind of like Lubbock, like it's a no-no in Bamberg. And so it was actually funny. I dropped my podcast and everybody in that city listened. It was going viral and that. But I take that place again, a, a different language. Now Germany has a 9 p.m. curfew. I have a torn hamstring and this coach was saying just these negative things to me every single time I'm in the gym and I see him like three times a day. So I go in for workouts, shooting, I see him and he's saying these negative things, negative, negative, negative. And then I go to practice, negative, negative, negative. I go home, I have my time to peace and I chill and I come back for weights, negative, negative, just saying these things because I guess he wanted to find the weakest link. He was under a lot of pressure. It's a prestigious club that I went to. And so it's on. It's a thing with overseas players, Americans. If you're not producing as American, you're out of there. And I guess he saw a rookie that he calls, and he just wanted to get him out. And my agent, him and them went back and forth. When my agent would come, it would be crazy to play mind games and be the nicest guy when my agent's in the building. Then my agent leaves. It's just like it, there's so many challenges to where I had a torn hamstring. I'm going against a seven-footer, 300-pounder. In this drill, I don't know if if anybody knows, obviously, the game of basketball, there's cross screens and from block to block. The job of a defender is to not let the big fella post up at the block. It's to push him off the block, because if a big person gets on that block, it's easy to turn around and score. And I'm not seven foot. And so the idea was to one with a torn hamstring. I'm over here. Beat him to the spot, front him and make sure he's out. So. I did that drill on a torn hamstring because I wanted to prove in my head. I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it. We literally did that drill like five times. And he kept stopping and saying, go, go again, go again. Because he thought the big fella was close to the block, which he wasn't. The last time I literally, kid you not, I looked down and my feet are at the three-point line. So I had front this guy all the way out to the three-point line. And he still says, stop. And that was in a nutshell, who he was as a person. He was just making it challenging for no reason. And so fast forward to weeks later, I got a concussion and I hit my head and me and my trainer, it's always weird. I'm always really close to the trainers on the team. Shout out Killian. As an athletic trainer myself, I can say with all certainty, we appreciate dudes like you too, Norris. And so he's tending to me with this concussion upstairs and the coach runs up there and he's like cussing out the trainer in Dutch because he's like, he'll be all right, leave him. And so my trainer just sent me to the hospital. And in that time it was COVID. So they had real strict protocol. So literally I was by myself. And so I get with my agent. I'm like, okay, this is not the best time for me. And in Europe, it was fever break. You're in between teams. It's not the easiest time to find another team. So I'm literally in between teams. And this is when, again, when you're in isolated times, I'm a faith guy. The enemy comes like no other. And like I said, that was the moment where I wanted to surrender. But I did choose to surrender and got on my knees and prayed and thanked my Lord and found out who I was. My mom would always send me uh, links to, to scriptures and sermons from old pastors that got her through tough times. And, and through that time, I really just bunkered in and, and found a new process. And every single day while I was away from the team, I literally would wake up and I would journal because when you write things out, you figure out why it is the way you feel that way. And it helps you like writing is essential. And then I was in the stocks and I still am. And I would just read books and I'm laughing because for workouts, I would put on boxing videos and shadow box and, and literally do jump ropes and ball dribbling. 
to the point where my neighbors were like cursing me out in German because I'd be up all <laughs> night. Long story short, I would keep myself active. And through that, I'm like, wait, I'm not the only one, the only athlete, the only person that goes through a time like this. And how do I, again, one, be a leader, but shed my light and showcase who I am and tell my story, open the door to my life and let people see what they think they see about me. But now what they actually know about me and, and expose these things. I, I came up with Mind Bully, overcoming the negative voice and, and been going um, so far from then. So, yeah. Well, it's a great show. I'll drop the links in the show description for anybody who wants to check it out, but it's really powerful. Also, lots of snippets on socials that you pull out. So lots of great inspiration there. You don't have to be a member of the Texas Tech basketball team to be inspired by Norris. That said, I think there's probably no better indicator of the legacy you left than the fact that you were tabbed to help name the newest basketball coach. Talk to me about what that meant to you as a player, but also just as a man to be included in that process and, and what it's meant for you to, to stay connected to the team after your playing days were over. Oh, it's, it's huge. It's a humbling experience. It's an honor to represent again. I always say this and, and that's kind of the biggest kind of love or rev, not reverence, but for lack of better words, that's the biggest kind of, respect somebody can give you in a team and a school and organization can give you that they think of you so highly that they put you on to hire the man. And so the year, the, the, the decision before that, it's actually crazy. When Beard left, that time was crazy because I was in Germany and I had switched teams at this time. And now I was on a different team and we stayed in a hotel during COVID. Me, I was a new player. And I remember on April 1st, me going back and forth on the phone with Andrew Sorrells. He's my best friend. And we were just talking about, ah, oh, he's not leaving. Just everybody sees the Twitter stuff. We were the same way. And I was like, there's no way he's leaving. And John Riley, who's the strength coach on his staff, I had talked with him back and forth and kind of the same thing. And long story short, he leaves and we're on the phone together as a Final Four squad with Kyler because Kyler's still there. Kyler, we're all on FaceTime, like all of us, me, Tariq, Jerry, Davide, Matt, Andrew, all of us were on FaceTime when Beard comes down and he tells that team, he's going to Austin, you need anything? I love you, blah, blah, I'm out. And so we're like, wow. Seconds later, Luke Adams, he texts me and he's just like, hey, can you get the guys pushing for my dad? And I'm like, all right, no problem. Like we're on the call. And so we start tweeting it. Long story short, I, I meet with, I think it was, Kirby the next day and it's like 4 a.m. in Germany and then I talked to Dusty Womble twice and Mark Adams is the coach and in that situation it taught me like dang here's a group of guys that left the legacy on this place that were wanted to be included in just whatever these guys thought about a leader and a winner okay we want them and so that taught me one thing and so obviously that situation didn't work out for a lot of different reasons. Personally, my guy, he changed. I still have a relationship with Mark Adams, but it just wasn't the right fit. And, and fast forward to this time, I was in a locker room. I'm playing with the Mavs affiliate, Texas Legends. And before the game, I'm literally sitting down. I think we have the chaplain come in right before we go back for film. The chaplain comes in and I get a call from Kirby Hocutt. And then I let him finish. The team goes in. I'm just like, no, nah, I'm taking this call, like whatever. And so Kirby asked me to be on the, the committee. And I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, hell yeah, obviously. Like, yeah. Like, but I told him, yeah, I'll do it. But I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This is really cool. It's a, a huge honor. And so, and I told him like at that time, this is the most important thing on my agenda. Say, maybe it's wrong or not to my team. I said, literally, I, this is the most important thing because I believe it. And I'm like, wait, I shouldn't feel obligated to like, oh, my team. I'm like, no, nah, if I feel it, I'm going to say it. This is the most important thing. And so we we had this app. It's called Signal to where because at that time it was crazy. Names are going around. And and this app was like this secret app to where we can text each other. The messages disappear, location. So it was almost like a boys fantasy group. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm getting texts in my fantasy. Oh, this player, this player. I'm like, if you hear about a coach, drop them in. And then we all do research. And then we convene later and be like, okay, this is why this. And it just taught me a lot as a person, as in like, wait, 
and which I tell everybody, you can do way more than you think you can do. People are just people at the end of the day and nobody has more smarts or nobody's intelligent more than you. And maybe if they are, you have something new to add. And I literally saw behind the curtain of, okay, this is how decisions are made. All right. And I was on the phone with coaches because it's crazy because when this stuff went around, NBA coaches were calling me like, and I'm just like, this is crazy. And they're lobbying. And I'm on the phone almost tired because I'm thinking I have a game the next day or have another flight. And I'm on the phone. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, to this coach who wants to be interviewed, like to get him a farther along on the interview process. And I'm like, bro, like this, it was almost like a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. And so I, I say that with going back a little bit to whenever I was actually announced to everybody, I almost felt I don't know if it's cynical because one of my friends and this is why people you don't always listen to what they say. You got to listen to who they are and their perspective and you don't have to accept that. And so a friend told me that, oh, they only want you because they know like you're the like you said, the Matthew McConaughey, the guy that everybody loves. So if you sign off, then they're good. They only want you for that. And at first I was just like, dang. All right. But then I was like, no, when I was in some of the Zooms and talking they need me here. I'm actually needed here, like literally. Right. And so I was like, okay, again, goes back to don't listen to what people think from their own lens. That's their own experience. That's not yours, nor is it the truth. And so when I got there, I was like, okay, let me walk with the confidence of not only me. I say this quote all the time. I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. And it wasn't about <laughs> me. I'm thinking about our Red Raider fans. I'm thinking about kids that are, will come, what we should be. I'm thinking about our national scope, our national presence. I'm thinking about all that. So I'm like, okay, I'm locked in every single time, every single yeah. Zoom, every single call, every single flight meeting, I'm locked in. And I end up talking the most and grilling these coaches the most. I'm literally in a meeting, one of the meetings, we had this meeting in this big conference room. And so typical conference room table. There's a head of the table where the coach, the candidate would sit. And then right here next to him, looking at him, was me. On the other side, it was Coach McGuire. On right next to me was Kirby. On that side was Dusty. And then on this side, it was Jonathan Boudreaux. And then the, the other side, it was like the third party who matched the agents with the school and the school with the candidate, whatever. And so... The first one, I'm grilling them. I'm like right close to them, maxing all these questions. I'm like, dang. In my head, the voice is like, bro, why are you talking the most? Like, what are you doing? So literally the next candidate, I try to move to the back and sit there because I'm like, I don't want it to be about me. Everybody was like, boy, you better get back right there and ask him the same question. Then I was just like, dang, like I really am needed. So it really taught me about one, who I would be, the legacy that I leave, and just about life in general, that to don't say your no for somebody else. Show yeah. up. If you want to do something, do it. Be that person, and then they'll start calling you. So Yeah, I think that it's, that's reflected in your story, taking advantage of opportunities when they come. Sometimes those opportunities don't come on the timing we would want, but we have to take advantage of them when they do. I love music and the emotions that they can convey. If we were to play a montage of your life, what song would be playing in the background and why? <laughs> That's crazy. Cause this week I told myself, I'm not going to listen to music. I'm just going to read audio books and listen to pods and like, do not disturb on my phone, but like a montage of my life. There's this song, every worship song in the morning. I listen to literally like three. I listen to evidence I, I think it's by Cody something evidence every morning. I watch it on YouTube, listen to it. I listen to trust, trusting God promises, but those aren't the soundtracks. I would say, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Just those are the songs I listen to every single day. And it's on top of my mind, but the soundtrack I would listen to is burner boy. It's on his last album. It's called Domini. His name, Domini. I think it's Domini. I love you or something. Love Domini is love his name. Anyways, it's the last track. It's How Bad Could It Be? And it's an emotional song. It's like literally one of the lyrics, it has people answer the question of when I'm in a bad mood, you do blank. And then all these people, it's a montage of people answering when I'm in a bad mood, I do this. When I'm in a bad mood, I do this. And so one of the 
I'm almost getting chills because I literally have cried to the song. It, it says, when you're feeling mad and you're angry, when you feel like you're lonely, when you feel as sad as you can be, when you feel as sad as you can feel, say, how bad could it be? How bad could it be? Like, so that would be, that would definitely be the song. That's powerful. I have a playlist that I've put together with every guest that I've done with their song. And then I've got a page where I, I link all those out. So well, that's it's great. just kind of a cool way to, to tie everybody into the idea. That's great. That's cool. All right. If you could go back in time and give younger Norts just one piece of advice, what would it be and why? <laughs> what is it? They say, excuse my friends, don't give a damn what anybody thinks. Don't give a damn what anybody thinks about you and what you could be and your career and what path you're taking. And if you look like everybody else or if you're acting like everybody else or if you have a thought that you don't want to express in a class because you think people are going to laugh or if you even just see the world differently from other people, who cares? One, in a kind of not the best perspective, but you won't think about those people anyways, but in the better perspective of you grow from where you're at, you grow through what you go through. And so it's like, you got to go through it with the knowledge of, okay, I have a long life to live. And if I'm looking at my life as a clock, this is probably like not even the first minute. It's like the first millisecond and life goes on and I got to grow through this minute to get to the next, the next, the next. It's not about where you're at. I would tell myself, like, boy, chill out, one. You don't have to, oh, I got to do this and do that. No, like, chill out, relax, and do what you want to do. Obviously, with the foundation of your family, you're blessed and you're privileged to come from a family of, one, they work hard. My mom's a nurse. My dad's a pharmacist and pastor. You have those values. You know what that looks like. Two, you have faith. You have your foundation. Do whatever the hell you want because it's afforded to you with the family that you got. Like, a lot of kids in my privileged situation, they don't take chances because they're so, oh, I got to, bro, let's say the worst idea in your mind happens and it, where are you going to fall back to? A pretty good foundation mm-hmm. that you're privileged to have. So take more chances yeah. and stand out on your courage. That's what I would that's, say. That's great. All right. Last one I ask of everybody, what for you, Norrence Odiase, remains undone? What for me remains undone? Let me really think about this. Man, I I don't know. Maybe it's a default answer, but it goes back to legacy. Like, how would I be remembered? Who will people say that I am? I stubbornly, I hate it. I'm just a weird or interested, curious guy by all the abilities God gave me. I hate when people just say, oh, that basketball player, remember me for the basketball. Oh, that's the guy from the final four. Obviously, I shouldn't hate it because that you did something. You left an impact on people's lives that goes on for generations. And it, it wasn't just about you putting the ball through the hoop. It's like the feeling you gave them is how, how you played, what it applies to with life, like pushing through the injuries, pushing through losing family members, the perseverance, the toughness, the courage. It means more to them than a game. And it means more to me than a game. But for some reason in my head, I'm just like, all right, I don't want to be remembered for that. I want to do something greater with other given traits and talents that God gave me. I got to build that. I got to grow through that. I got to fine tune and rewire who I am and and look at myself as, okay, more than just a player, more than just a basketball player. So I'm at a spot of when you ask me what is left undone. It's my life and a legacy that I lead and that I leave to those that are all around me. So, Yeah, that's great. I think I would sum it up this way. I was introduced to who you are by watching you play basketball, but I feel like I've come to know you through your show. And I enjoyed watching you play. I love seeing the lives that you're changing and the impact that you're making. And so it's been a real treat for me to see you continue to grow and flourish And it's been a real honor to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think what you're doing is awesome and great. It's it's definitely unique. I'm definitely taking a lot of tips from even your site was pretty great, high level, and to the name, to the brand, and to some of the things that you do, because I think it's important to find a way how to capitalize on, obviously, you're serving, you're blessing people with what you're doing, but in a way that I need right now to make it an actual thing for you, because it's like, okay, you can't just it's unsustainable to just do everything yourself, yourself, yourself. You need a little help. 
And, and yep. you help me by just watching the way you structure things. And even again, to your show and, and kind of the subject matter that you face and that you tackle, it's definitely unique and it's definitely not tackled and, t- and talked about enough. So I credit you for, for what you're doing. I'm Norrence Odiase and I am undone. For Norrence, it's been a journey of learning, hard work and discipline. And while he probably could have taken an easier, more selfish path to self-exaltation, He's instead chosen to invest, to pay it forward, to build and leave a legacy for those who follow in his footsteps. And in the process, he's learned more about himself, his faith, and his purpose to have a grander platform. I hope you found as much inspiration from his story as I did. For more info on today's episode, be sure to check it out on the web. Simply go to undonepodcast.com backslash EP54 to see the notes, links, and images related to today's guest. Norrence Odiase. Coming up, I've got the powerful story of former college football player turned motivational speaker Fletcher Cleves. Then state champion Lubbock Estacado Matador head basketball coach Tony Wagner shares how he's overcome adversity and become a champion as well. Then fitness personality Geo Marine drops in. So stay tuned. This and more coming up on Becoming Undone. Becoming Undone is a Nitro Hype creative production written and produced by me, Toby Brooks. If you or someone you know has a story of resilience and victory to share for Becoming Undone, contact me at undonepodcast.com. Follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn at Becoming Undone Pod, and follow me at Toby J. Brooks on Twitter, X, Instagram, and TikTok. Listen, subscribe, and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Till next time, everybody, keep getting better.